0: Hello friends, welcome to episode 1126 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. Today's episode is brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't want or don't need, and it can even negotiate better deals on those that you want to keep. Today's podcast will get into a lot of different things about the Atlanta Hawks. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard and check check us out each and every day on this podcast Now we're making it your first listen, and the Lots on Hawks podcast really appreciates your patronage. Today's show is going to get into some injury updates, some mailbag questions, a look at the first 21 games of the season, and even look ahead briefly to Wednesday's game between the Hawks and the Pacers with this bizarre and uh, interesting and probably much needed three-day break for the Hawks in between games. So we'll start at the top here with some injury updates. Uh, If you missed this over the weekend, Bogdan Modanovic and Cam Reddish both left Saturday's game in the first half with injuries. and Nate McMillan, the head coach of the Hawks, of course, indicated that they will both have MRIs after the contest. Those MRIs happened on a Sunday, and the Hawks released their unofficial injury updates on Sunday evening. We'll go to Bogdanovich first, just for the sake of clarity. Uh, Bogdanovich had the MRI confirm a right ankle sprain, which is what the Hawks indicated when he first left the game on Saturday. The official word in their statement was that, quote, following a period of rest and re- rehabilitation, his status will be updated in approximately two weeks, end quote. As I always say on the podcast, reevaluation does not mean return. And the next update is happening in two weeks. That does not mean he's coming back in two weeks. Now, he could. That's always worth saying. If you want to be optimistic, that's at least possible. But um, it could be longer than that. And usually the Hawks are uh, a team that goes on these two-week increments to kind of give information. So it's hard to tell beyond that. But it seems like it's going to be a multi-week absence for Bogdanovich at the very least. Um, and also, ankle sprains can be tricky. The serious ones can take guys out for a long time. Like John Collins, who was 15 games in a row. with an ankle sprain back in 24. 20- 18, I should say. Before that, Mike Muscala missed a couple of months with an ankle sprain. Others are less severe. Obviously, you know Trey Young had one last year, and only missed a couple of games, etc. But this one seems to be a little bit, a little bit more of the harsh variety for McDonovich. It's also worth noting that the Hawks did not indicate the severity necessarily, but. Um, basically ruling him out for two and a half weeks or more here is not just uh, you know, the most positive indication in the world. He'll be out for a while, and he's also been banged up this season. Like, McDonald's has been on the injury report for most of the year, either as questionable or probable before games, and I think he's only missed one game this this season, but at the same time, perhaps a time for uh, some rehab and getting getting himself right for later on in the year, because he's not quite banged himself this season overall. So, that's the first thing and probably the more severe one, at least right now. But Donovan should be out for at least two weeks and probably a little bit longer than that. Cam Reddish had an MRI confirm a left wrist sprain. He entered Saturday's game, by the way, with left wrist pain and was listed as questionable coming into the night. And then uh, people were asking me actually, you know, after this, if they were related anyway. You never know for sure, but it doesn't look great on the team side to have him on the injury report as questionable with the same wrist and have him leave the game by halftime of that game. Um, obviously, a sprain now diagnosed. It could have been worse than that, for sure. And uh, there's, there's no timetable right now on Reddish. Um, they also didn't say these out indefinitely, so I think I'm taking all the signs to mean it's pretty encouraging on Reddish, although nothing is official at this point in time, and they might just have to learn some more information about his wrist. But there was no lig- ligament damage or tendon damage, all, all, any of that stuff, and there's not a long projected timeline that they gave. And the official wording is that his, quote, status will be determined by his response to daily treatment, end quote. I have to assume at least he might be out on Wednesday, although that's not officially yet either because of uh, the injury reports not out until tomorrow, and maybe for a few games after that, but I truly don't know if people were asking me to speculate. I'm not really going to do that. Um, I will just say that it feels like a positive to me that nothing was um, sort of definitive on the injury timeline. Also, McMillan talked on uh, Monday after practice and said that Reddish did some shooting, which is obviously a pretty good sign, I would imagine. Also said that an uptick in minutes for other guys would, quote, depend on Cam's availability, end quote, which I took as potentially a positive sign. You don't want to overread into it, but the fact that he's not just ruled out already for some length of time is probably a positive on Reddish, I would say. But obviously we will get that. Uh, It might be a day-to-day situation at this point in time. Day-to-day is probably all I would say in terms of evaluation, but the Hawks don't put it Wednesday, and we'll learn about the injury report when it comes out on Tuesday evening. So... What now, basically, is one of the questions I got from a lot of people, and I'll answer that in sort of multiple parts here. I'll say this. The Hawks are down to only one of their top four wings coming into the season with DeAndre Hunter already out. Uh, Kevin Herter played 38 minutes on Saturday, in a, on, on the second half of a back-to-back, in a game that both Cam and Bogdanovich played in for a while. So I would say it's a pretty huge burden on Kevin Herter right now. He did lead the team in total minutes last year. Uh, and he pretty much becomes indispensable for a little while now. Uh, we saw this last year when the Hawks were so banged up famously on the wing at times, and it was it was the one that was actually able to stay healthy last year. It's been the same this year, but he'll have a lot of pressure on him to kind of you know carry the load and just kind of be out there all the time, provide that spacing, that shooting, and just that competent two-way wing play that the Hawks badly need. From there, there are a lot of different options to fill the minutes. Without, without, without but I and Reddish, obviously the Reddish thing could not be so long, but... Just just for the sake of record keeping, those two guys, um, Bogey and Reddish, have averaged about 50 minutes per game this season combined. And it's been like 53 or 54 since Hunter went down. So that's not like two full-time starter load minutes, but still a lot of minutes to fill with other guys. And Reddish has been playing more since Hunter went down in general. Um, Just for the record, Solomon Hill started the second half on Saturday alongside Herter. And McMillan has indicated time and time again that he trusts Solomon Hill to play minutes. We saw that last year. Obviously, he is the most—he's uh, not the most loved guy in terms of the fan base. He's pretty polarizing um, through that lens, and with what I see on Twitter and all that stuff. But McMillan definitely values Solo and the safety that he brings on defense, in particular. He'll execute a scheme. He'll, um, you know, call stuff out. He'll be in the right place at the right time defensively. And McMillan definitely values that. At the same time, he does hurt them on offense. Um, even as someone who likes Solomon Hill and probably values him more than most, the offensive side of the floor is as uh, a negative for Solomon Hill, obviously. Um, so, especially when you compare that to Bogey, you don't want to play him too, too much It sort of drags down the offense. I think he'll be in the rotation. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't playing at least some minutes on Wednesday if both um, Bogey and Reddish are out of the lineup. And he might even start on Wednesday, but I think he could pencil him in for some kind of role in the future. The other guy who's pretty much a natural fit would be Timothy Wabakabarou. He played a season-high 13 minutes on Saturday, and it was kind of the only time this year that he's actually been in the rotation in terms of like a full-blown thing, and that was only after halftime following the two injuries. He's the most traditional like wing option the Hawks have right now to fill in. I've said all year long, he's a rotation-caliber player. He's not going to blow you away. But I think he is a guy who has played on quality teams before and not killed them. He's a two-way guy in a lot of ways. Defensively, he is solid enough. He's pretty big. Offensively, he's better than Solo in terms of what he can offer. He's more of a bomber. Not a great shooter, but someone who's more willing to shoot potentially and uh, get guarded out there, almost more importantly. And I would guess he will play pretty regularly. If it was up to me, I'd play him pretty heavily early on just to see how this goes. Um, I'd probably have him play 20 minutes or more on Wednesday if both guys were out, but uh, he is an option. We saw him at least a little bit more in the second half on Saturday. The other options beyond Solo and TLC, who are the most like plug-and-play guys, are, you know, a couple of those are Lou Williams and DeLon Wright. They're both already playing in the rotation recently. They both could play more, though. Lou's played at eight straight games, uh, 15 minutes a night or so, and obviously he's the offense first option. He is quite small and definitely more of a point guard size, but has played the two in the past at times. DeLon Wright has played in 11 strike games, and he's been playing almost the same amount of minutes as Lou. They've been paired closely together. Wright is bigger and a better defender, but obviously a little bit less juice on offense. Um, more of a wing-sized player, though, which could have some appeal. I might just use DeLon as a wing during the stretch and kind of have Lou run the offense and only play when Trey's off the floor. I wouldn't mind that as a strategy in general. I don't really love the Trey-Lou minutes anyway, and I think that Delon actually might work well with Trey. He's not played with Trey really at all this year, um, but that might be something to try in this stretch because you take the um, the in, sort of the, the play initiation off of Wright's plate and let him do other things. That's probably useful for him. One of the troubles is though that if you get into lineups that have Delon Wright and Solo together, or Delon Wright and TLC, or TLC and Solo, if you're Playing Capella as well, you get into some spacing issues for sure. I think you want to avoid lineups that have two of the DeLon solo TLC group. And if you have to play two of those guys, maybe play Collins at center so you have a little bit more spacing, a little bit more juice. So McMillan's going to have some uh, some juggling to do, let's just say, in the rotation. Um, the Hawks also have Scholar Mays, who they called up from the G League. We'll get into the rookies in a second on a mailback question that I was asked. But in terms of Mays, he's, he was at practice on Monday. Uh, he'll, he was actually in the rotation at times last year as well. He played nine minutes or more 13 times last season. Not like a full-time rotation guy last year, but definitely was in the rotation at times and has you know shooting guard size. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but can play defense, um, make the right play, etc. Um, he's not like a veteran necessarily as a second-year guy. But he is older, and uh, I would say he's pretty trustworthy. Gino would operate the schemes. You know, I, you know, He's 24 years old, for instance, and they trusted him a little bit last year. So he's another option to keep an eye on who's already was, was at practice today and could be someone that they could maybe look to for a few minutes on Wednesday. Um, I'll have a little bit more on this scenario in terms of the rookies and impact there. But I'll just say this as a final thought in this first segment. Um, it's an obvious—it's it's obvious loss to have no bogey and no reddish. Um, Bogey's offensive spacing and juice is definitely missed. Reddish's defense and also a little bit of secondary playmaking uh, will be missed as well. Um, it's kind of a perfect storm right now. You know, clearly the Hawks—I've I've kind of described their three best players or three of the most valuable players this year as Trey Young, John Collins, and Clint Capella. I still mean that, but they're—they're not reaching the point where the where the wings become. Um, it's kind of. Uh, struggle let's just say so herder becomes extremely important for the next little while here uh, but nothing else they have some depth to piece through this thing and mcmillan's gonna have some uh, some juggling to do in the coming days uh, before we get to some mailbag questions though and some other things on the podcast it were from our sponsors and the first of which is true bill do you know why free trials are new without your consent it's a business scam that's out to get you don't let corporate greed pocket your money instead download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, don't want, or simply forgot about. On average, people can save $720 a year with Truebill. And because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there right with you when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. And Truebill is awesome for someone like me who has a ton of subscriptions across the landscape. Sports makes it so I have to keep a wide swath of information. It's really, really valuable to have Truebill to make sure that I don't get bamboozled. Truebill has over 2 million users. and It's helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now to Truebill.com slash NBA. It could save you thousands per year. Truebill.com slash NBA. In keeping with the rotation discussion from before the break, I got a lot of questions about Jalen Johnson in particular, um, even something about Jerry Cooper, but mostly about Johnson in the aftermath of the injuries. And they ranged from kind of asking if Jalen was going to play in Atlanta now because of, um, you know, all the absences. Also questions about why he didn't play on Sunday in College Park to yelling a little bit about why he hasn't already been playing. So I'll touch on all of that now with regard and Jalen Johnson. Uh, first, he missed Sunday's game with the Skyhawks in College Park with what the team said was a non-COVID illness. So no word of how long he, that he might be sidelined with that, but obviously that's why he didn't play on Sunday. And also, College Park's on a four-game road trip right now, so it's a little bit more difficult to pull guys back and forth since they're not just in College Park. And um, I'll say this, May has got called up by himself on Sunday to the Hawks. And I think that's the first time this year that all three guys of the, you know, the Mays, Johnson, Cooper trio did not move as a unit. They've been going back and forth together and Mays went up by himself, which I thought was noteworthy. I think he's the most plug-and-play option in a lot of ways, you know, Talked about it a little bit earlier, but he is the only second-year guy of those three, and there's a pretty big experience gap between him and the two rookies. Where you know Cooper and Johnson were both one-one-and-done college guys. Mays was a college veteran who was in the system last year. He's 24 years old. He's also the closest thing to a perimeter-based wing of the three. Obviously, Cooper's a point guard, and Johnson, we'll get into in a second, is more of a big right now. So that's also worth noting in terms of that uh, that safety factor with bringing in Mays. Um, as for Johnson, they could still call him up between now and Wednesday. Nothing is impossible. But I would say say it doesn't seem likely to me at this point in time. I would not project Johnson to actually play on Wednesday or in the near future when it comes to rotation minutes overall. um, For one thing... Nate's been pretty clear in saying that developmental minutes are not really happening at the big league level this year for the Hawks. He's pretty old school and seems to approach every game in terms of like almost with blinders on. You kind of just play that one game and don't consider the future. Like I've always thought he plays guys too long in garbage time. I've always thought that he doesn't really take into account like back-to-backs for vets, all that stuff, unless he absolutely has to. And that's kind of the same thing here when he's just trying to win that game. And that's uh, not exactly the most um, rookie-friendly environment in a lot of ways. I would like to see Johnson at some point already this year. But I think the slow start of the Hawks might have curbed that chance a little bit too because once the Hawks got behind, there's some more urgency to kind of try to win games. And I think Nate just trusts the veterans more. And that's kind of – you can certainly argue both sides of that. I know fans want to see Jalen Johnson. He's definitely more talented than some other guys that the Hawks have been playing. But rookies are bad, and I say that all the time, and I say that with love. I like Jalen Johnson a lot. I love that draft pick. I praised him at Summer League. This is not an anti-Jalen Johnson take. It's more of the fact that most rookies, the vast majority of rookies, are not very good, and the Hawks are trying to win right now. It's kind of a tough scenario through that lens. Um, McMillan actually got asked about Jalen on Monday at practice about why he's in College Park, basically. McMillan said, and I quote, because he can't get minutes up here with us, so that's what it's for, and that's what we want him to do. End quote. Uh, That's pretty direct. From Nate, Uh, he wanted to say that the Hawks would would need more injuries slash absences to get Johnson in the rotation. So that was fairly definitive. And I talked about this a little bit, but, you know, McMillan valuing the experience for sure. And, you know, Summer League is a lot different than the NBA and kind of what's going on here. But even even beyond that, I should say, one of the big things here is the way the Hawks have built this roster with the depth that they have. They have a lot of depth, as we talked about for months now. Um, I also kind of tried to warn, warn people this is going to happen. Johnson was not in a position to play this year because of all the guys the Hawks had in front of him. And positionally, it's not the most natural fit. I understand why the natural reaction is you see two guys go down on the wing and you, and you think, oh, Jalen Johnson is a forward and he can step in and play. But... In College Park, he's basically been a big the entire time. He's playing the four and the five exclusively. He played a lot of five, started at the five last week at one point. Um, And I know he has the ability, in theory, to play some three, but I think Jalen Johnson is a four as a primary and might be more closer to the five at this point in time. Now, um, more importantly than that even, the College Park runs a lot of stuff that the Hawks run on purpose, but Johnson's not been playing the wing at College Park. So he's not going to know the assignments that the Hawks are doing on the wing. And I would say on top of the rookie curve that everybody has, David Millen is not the kind of coach that's going to come in and want him to run stuff that he's not been running already in the big league setting, unless he absolutely has to. Um and obviously the Hawks have depth in the front court. So you know, they have Collins at four who plays some center and is playing at an all-star level. They have Gallo making a bunch of money and driving second unit and, you know, taking taking a lot of shots. They have a starting center that's an all-defensive caliber player in Capella. Um, they have Congo coming back. They have Gorky Jang, good to plug holes. And Nate obviously trusts guys like even Solo and TLC over Johnson. So I get the natural complaint is to go, you know, Solo versus Jalen in terms of, like, traits and what guys can and can't do. And I totally understand the um, urge to do that. But I'll just say this. Everyone understands that Jalen's more talented. No one questions that. And um, would give them more juice on offense and more upside. But that's not really what the calculus is right now for Naaman Millen. He wants to uh, play the guy that he trusts more. And that's kind of where we are at this point in time. So ultimately, it wouldn't be shocking to me if they tried to call Jalen up at some point and, and play him. Um, and I'd be in favor of getting him some experience on the floor. That is pretty valuable. And I, I think the Hawks can afford it on some level in a small role. I just think it may not come right now based on what Nate was saying today. And, uh, as of the podcast right now, Mays is with the Hawks and Johnson is not. So if you ask me who's gonna play more between those two guys, I would lean towards Maze just out of necessity. Um, from there quickly, I'll touch on a uh, question from Bruce about Trey young. Um, Bruce asked, um, actually mentioned Nate Duncan and Daniel LaRue and they had Trey young in their first team all NBA through a quarter of the season. He asked me if I discussed that on the podcast. Um, I'll say this. Trey Young won the Player of the Week Award for the Eastern Conference, which I kind of alluded to after the game on Saturday as a likelihood. Uh, he was pretty much the leading candidate um, by a lot. Um, he averaged you know, robust numbers, let's just say, this last week, and I thought he was going to win it. He definitely did. Um, the Hawks went 3-1. and one. He was dominant. He, he had two of his best games of the season, if not his best game of the season on, on I believe it was on Friday. He was awesome last week. and has been awesome for a while now. Um, with that said, um and obviously this contributed to that 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 player week performance from last week but he's up to 26 points a game and nine assists per game 59 percent true shooting a career high as a field goal percentage three point percentage this year a career high in efg by about a point and a half the only thing that's kind of down on offense is his free throw attempts and we know that story but he's actually taking plenty just not quite as many as he was last year and as of monday he's fifth in the league in scoring and third in assists that's one heck of a combination and almost more importantly than that, in some ways, at least for me, the Hawks have a 115 offensive rating when he plays this year. That is higher than the number one offense in the league would be. Obviously, that's not apples to apples, but uh, when he plays, the Hawks are good on as I talked about a lot, and they're about seven points better per 100 possessions on the whole when he plays versus when he sits this season. Uh, that's obviously pretty impressive. Um, as far as the All-NBA claims, you know, it's kind of backed up a little bit right now. The guard line, other than Steph Curry, who's an obvious first-team guy, um, I could certainly argue, and I think Nate and Danny did a good job on their podcast, which I've been on before, um, that Trey's having the best season at this particular moment. Will, will he be first-team? Uh, I think that probably the money would be on no on that one, but he definitely is capable of doing it, and right now I think I probably would give him that nod too next to Steph. At the moment, he's a top-12 player in the league. By EPM and number three in the league in uh offense behind Steph and Jokic. Um, Raptor has him as the third best offense player in the entire league um, as well behind Steph and Jokic, and they hate his defense more than EPM does, but I think his defense has been better for the most part this year. And also, as a matter of record keeping, if Trey makes all NBA, and this is by the way, any of the three teams for all NBA, he makes about $35 million in extra money on his deal from about 172 over five years to 207. So obviously he wants to make All-NBA. The Hawks will be hurt a little bit by salary cap stuff if he makes it. But I'll just say this, as far as the question is concerned, I think that I would pick Trey to make All-NBA at this point in time. Would it be first team? Probably not. But I think as long as as the Hawks keep winning, um, his numbers will be there. And he's obviously the huge driver of their offense. So um, to answer the question... I think his offensive and really overall appeal is going to be there. All-Star is going to be a virtual lock at this point. Obviously, he should have made it last year, which we discussed ad nauseum on the podcast, but All-NBA is definitely in play, and uh, the Hawks have, should at least be thinking about how to um, spread spread the wealth or luxury tax stuff if he makes some extra money on that contract. Um, all right, before we get to the rest of the podcast, a couple more things to hit on on the show today. A word from our sponsors on the show, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Football season continues, and the March to the playoffs is here, and BetOnline has you covered all season long for more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the sports action this season. And You can head to our new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash and a welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. One more time, that is promo code Locked On to receive that welcome bonus from BetOnline.ag. With basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, in addition to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of this amazing offer, and all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports, and one more time, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. Online where the game starts. All right, and finally on the podcast today, we'll check out on, on the Hawks' progress after 21 games. You know, it's basically their quarter mark. You know, technically the 20 and a half game mark is a quarter of the season, but uh, we're at 21 now. The Hawks are 11 and 10, of course. And before Monday's games in the NBA, the Hawks are number three in offense, number 22 in defense, and in the top eight in net rating. That's a pretty good profile for this team overall. They are uh, really good in a couple of areas in offense. Number two in their league in turnover rate. That's obviously excellent. Top 10 true shooting percentage. That's a pretty good recipe overall. Free throw rate is down from last year, but not you know totally cratered. Definitely down, but not a ton. Um, and then defensively, they actually have allowed fewer points per possession this year than they did last year. It's just that the league overall profile in terms of scoring, offense is down in the league, essentially. Which is what makes Trey Young's performance even better, by the way. Is that Trey is doing what he is doing in a lower scoring environment. And he's actually having his best year of his career so far in terms of the stats and the shooting and all that stuff. And true shooting is down. Points are down, etc. So the Hawks have to adjust to that, but they've been playing pretty darn well recently to kind of erase that early season swoon. And um, Just going by the metrics right now, the Hawks are in pretty good shape. In fact, the projection systems that I kind of tracked throughout the season have kind of warmed up to the Hawks a little bit in the last couple weeks, with good reason, as they started to win games. Uh, 538's Raptor model has the Hawks for 49 wins again, um, tied for fourth in the East. Um, Their ELO model, which is more based on what's happened so far this year and less on the players, has 47 wins, um, Sports line, which I do a little bit of work for, has the Hawks actually at 44 wins. This is their lowest projection that I've seen. It has them at, I believe it's 7th in the Eastern Conference. ESPN has them at 6th in the East with 46 wins. Um, if it's me, I would have them in that 48, 49 win range right now. It might be closer to 47 when you factor in the injuries. You know, If you told me that Reddish missed some time and Bogey misses 3 or 4 weeks here, plus Hunter, they're going to have some trouble. Um, particularly if they were to still be out. Like, Bogey's still, when they go on their long road trip, which I'm not going to talk about a ton right now, but they go on this long road trip to the West Coast uh, in late December, early January. If Bogey is still out by then, that is some trouble, and Hunter in particular, because um, that's when they have some tests and the West Coast can uh, obviously be taxing, as we saw earlier this this season, but... Between now and then, they can stay afloat. They have some, a pretty friendly schedule in terms of home games, etc. They have some longer breaks, but um, we'll see what happens there. But I would probably have the Hawks you know, only a win or two down from where I was preseason when I, when I had them for 50 wins. And I think they're in pretty good shape at this point in time, despite the slow start and the injuries. Uh, last thing on the show is that the Hawks play the Pacers on Wednesday. Um, we don't know just yet what the injuries are going to look like for either team, and that's uh, worth that's worth pointing out as I'm recording this about two days beforehand. But Indiana lost to Minnesota um, tonight. They actually had a back-to-back on Sunday and Monday. and They'll have a day off on Tuesday, but the Hawks, Hawks will actually have the rest advantage uh, because they won't have played in three days, and the Pacers will be at least not totally worn out, but still, a, I would say, a stealth rest advantage in this game. Um, you have to assume that Bogey, Hunter, and Akong were out. I think Reddish is probably likely to be out, but that's obviously a guess on some level. TJ Warren is still out for Indiana, at least unofficially. Um, he's not played this season. Um, and Indiana has home court, obviously, in this game. They've been much better at home than on the road this season, so a slight edge to the Pacers there. They're not elite at really anything, but they're pretty good at most things. You know, DeBona Simonis, Malcolm Brogdon... Um, Miles Turner are their three linchpins. Karis LeVert is obviously a wing scorer for them. Uh, Turner's been really good this year. Uh, Sabonis is kind of what he is. But they're average-ish on offense and defense. They're good at rebounding, I would say, overall, and do a pretty good uh, job in shooting efficiency on both ends of the floor, making shots and preventing shots. But they are not good in turnover margin on either either end of the floor, uh, both protecting the ball and creating turnovers. And they don't win the free throw line battle very often. They don't create a lot of free throws, and they don't prevent free throws. That's obviously a pretty good advantage for the Hawks, particularly if they're fouling Trey Young in this game. I think, overall, the Hawks are pretty clearly better than the Pacers, but when you factor in the injury absences for Atlanta, uh, Indiana being relatively healthy without, without TJ Warren still, but at least right now, and the home court... Um, the Hawks might be slight favorites in this game, but it's not going to be a, this, like a massive point spread. So, a pretty interesting challenge for Atlanta, I would say, in my mind. And uh, we'll see what happens from there. And then the Hawks will come home. It's actually a quick road trip. The Hawks don't have two games in a row on the road until almost Christmas. So, it's like a lot of these two game trips, and they come back home. They play Philadelphia on Friday. Philly's a little bit more healthy now with Joel Embiid coming back. And they're playing at least better basketball at this point in time. And they have a back to back on Sunday and Monday against Charlotte and Minnesota. Hopefully that is enlightening on the uh, state of the Hawks at this point in time. But um, the biggest thing, of course, from the, last, from the last two days, I should say, is the injury updates. And, you know, the Hawks are weakened by the absences of Bogdanovich and Reddish. No question about that. But they have enough, particularly if Herder can stay out of foul trouble and stay on the floor. And they'll get something from TLC, Solo, Skylar Mays etc. Lou Williams still on right. That whole crew, plus Gallinari potentially. A little bit more minutes for him, and uh, they'll piece this thing together. So, McMillan's got his hands full. That's for sure. I'll have uh, detailed notes on what they do on Wednesday, and I will report back with some rotational observations on Wednesday after the game. But please, please, please subscribe to the show if you're a new listener that might enjoy, enjoy this podcast, please tell your friends as well. But the biggest thing is to subscribe via the platform of your choice, whether it be Odyssey or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you enjoy podcasts, you can find us there. Five star ratings are very much appreciated as well, and reviews. And follow me on Twitter at BT and Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Hawks. And by the way, I can announce this now. I rarely do this, but I have the show already recorded. So I can say this now. Ben Ladner, old friend of the podcast, will be back on the show tomorrow night. So that's another. Ha- uh, Podcast happening between the game between now and the game on Wednesday. So you have this podcast going up Monday night into Tuesday. You'll have myself and Ben uh, Tuesday night into Wednesday, and then another show on Wednesday night after the game in Indiana. So stay tuned, everybody, and we'll see you next time.